Hello, everyone. In this episode of Hewlett Packard's Lab podcast from Research to Reality, I have a great honor and pleasure to host Sherrod Singal, Distinguished Technologist in Hewlett Packard Labs. Hello, Sherrod. Hello, Dan. Glad to be with you. My pleasure and honor, and of the whole audience. Sherrod, you are at the moment distinguished technologies, but you don't just happen to be technologies overnight. How did you come to this point? But then um, I started my career in um, Bell Labs and Bellcore, and I mid- joined uh, Hewlett Packard Labs sort of mid career. When I came to Hewlett Packard Labs, I was working on quality of service. This was around 2000. We were thinking through what it means to do large-scale web services there. And we started putting together a rack of about 15 odd machines. At that time, ISPs, who were the internet service providers back in those days, were bringing in hundreds of machines every single day into their lab. And our reaction was, there has to be a better way of putting things together. So we came up with the notion back in 2000 and asked as a research question, if somebody were to build a data center which had 50,000 servers in it, how would they put it together? How would they operate it? How would they run it? What, is, what are the implications of putting that together? That work led to something which we productized inside Hewlett Packard at that time as something called the utility data center. It was about six or seven years ahead of its time. But if you look at the data centers today, Many of the things we did back then came out of that work. Um, we understood how to do power and cooling back then. We understood how to do automation. We understood how to develop services around those things. And as a part of that work, I went to Cupertino at the time and worked in the product group for a year, transferring all of that technology to the product group as part of the product. When I came back to labs, I was promoted to distinguished technology Thanks, Sharad. So that was then, and what do you do now? Well, uh, over my career in Hewlett-Packard now, I have worked both as an individual contributor and as a technical manager. Over the last six years at Hewlett-Packard Labs, we have been we have been working on something called the Machine Project. It is a new, it was a new architecture, and as part of the program management team there, I was responsible for a large fraction of the demonstrations we showed. Um, the software stack within the machine program. So I was responsible for many of the demonstration applications we put together in that environment for um, Hewlett Packard Labs. Over the last three years, since the machine program has finished inside labs, I have now been working with our high performance computing group on taking some of the concepts that we developed in the machine program and taking them closer to the product. Machine was extremely visible program. And uh, we have, it has resulted in a number of successful uh, artifacts and some of the technology transfers. Can you give us some examples of the aspects that are currently being taken forward? So the machine program fundamentally had a basic concept of fabric attachment. We were trying to pull out the memory or effectively the data from the 
individual servers because the amount of data that we have to handle is growing enormously and exponentially. We thought that we could hold the data in one central place and then have all of the compute surround that one central place. So the whole notion of fabric attached memory we are continuing to do, work with understanding how to deal with large data sets, understanding how to deal with data sets which are not easily partitionable. Those are concepts we are now beginning to think through within the context of our problems. That, that's a great explanation, but for some of our audience who doesn't even understand what does fabric attached memory mean, can you explain that concept? So when you think about the standard server today, what you find is I have the CPU inside the server and I have some VRAM slots, I have some IO slots. The capacity inside these things is fixed when we start with the server. So I have so many CPUs, I have so many slots. Now I can add more capacity to the VRAM itself or to the memory itself, but by and large, the capacity to compute inertia inside these servers is fixed. At the same time, we are bringing to bring in optical networking, the networking schemes are going higher. We are getting very close to the point where we have the ability to put all of that memory out of the server or a large fraction of that memory out of the server and provision it on a network. And just as we have network attached storage, we can think in terms of network attached memory inside the server. Now, all of a sudden, the capacity ratios I can adjust, namely the amount of compute I need for an application can be basically sized for the server and the amount of memory I need for the for my application can be sized for the server. And that allows us to put together just the right amount of resource all the way across inside the application to optimize that. So, so fabric attached memory is by default desegregated from traditional servers. That is correct. Okay. So you intuitively explained to us some of the benefits of fabric attached memory. Uh, in, 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 in being able to scale independently. What are the other benefits? Perhaps cost, performance, manageability. Of, yeah, the primary benefit for fabric attached memory comes uh, in terms of server disaggregation. Um, by moving the memory to the fabric, I can take the compute to memory ratio that any given application needs. And because the fabric attached memory is shared, as I'm running different applications, I can change the amount of memory to server ratio and the memory can now be shared across these different applications. So just as virtualization allows me to share CPUs and resources within the server across multiple applications in a clean way, we can now run multiple applications on our, server, on our clusters and optimize these applications and it allows us much more efficiency that provides me with a cost benefit. It allows me to see power benefits. And I can bring these applications together much, much more efficiently with the resource inside, use the resources inside my data center. You keep on mentioning applications. What are the applications that can benefit most from fabric attached memory? So we have tried as part of the machine program and later on in the work we are doing currently, lots of different applications. We find that there are two broad classes of applications which have the large, which get the largest benefit. The first class of applications is because the data sets are not going so large. If the total working set inside the application 
exceeds the capacity of a single server or across the cluster even. Having that means the data stay in fabric attached memory allows you to access that data much, much more, much faster. So the application performs better as a result of that. In many cases, I can hide that latency to persistent storage. In other cases, such as graph applications, that becomes very difficult because I'm accessing that data randomly. Having that data reside centrally in fabric attached memory gives me enormous gains in performance. The other class of applications we find where this kind of stuff is useful is where I have large amounts of compute which I have to repeat over and over again. For example, in simulation, multi model simulation, modeling applications, where we have a model and we run random inputs into these models hundreds of thousands of times to understand how the model behaves and the different types of inputs. Here we can make a space-time period of the thing. We save some of these things or memoize some of these uh, results. And then when time comes to the real uh, question comes in, we can use those intermediate results quickly and get to an answer very quickly. This can give us orders of three orders of magnitude performance improvement without dropping the quality of the simulation that is done. I'm sure there are other applications, but those are the kinds of applications we can think of. These are the great benefits of fabric attached memory and, and especially to these applications, but are there any downsides? For example, well, as, you, as you expand memory out of server, you are suddenly uh, extending the surface of attack, you yes. uh, are probably uh, decreasing reliability and things like that. How do you address those problems? So when, whenever you bring in new technology, you find that there are benefits. And at the same time, you find that there are challenges and you picked up one of those challenges. Because now I have larger amounts of data possibly being shared across multiple applications or held in one place. Unlike my fungible DRAM environment where when the application goes, the DRAM gets cleaned out, fabric attached memory is actually more persistent, the data there outlasts the application because I want to reuse that data for other applications possibly. That means we have to start thinking in terms of access control. We have to bring in the notions of who can access what data. It also provides the opportunity at least for applications to corrupt one more, each other's data much more efficiently. So security becomes a much, much more core part of what we have other thing is that because we have to worry about the application data now being resident in memory, we have to now start thinking of memory much like we think in terms of file systems and storage systems. Namely, I have to make sure that the data does not die because there is a fault in the system. So while there are advantages to bringing to these kinds of things, it also brings in a whole slew of other things which we have thought through in other contexts before, but now we have to also apply the same concepts to protect the data that is the really important I couldn't help but notice that high-performance community, the HPC, has embraced fabric-attached memory as well. How do they benefit from FAN or fabric-attached memory? So not all applications which are the, uh, HPC applications are appropriate, frankly, for fabric-attached If I think in terms of traditional computational fluid dynamics type applications, they are very, very highly, the 
what are called embarrassingly parallel applications. I can partition the data, I can partition the compute. There is really no reason for fabric attachment to exist there. However, at the same time, what we are finding increasingly is that our customers are using fabric in these large computational clusters for things like AI and machine learning workloads. They are using them for high performance data analytics workloads. Here, I see lots of applications where data is not easily partitionable, but the compute requires access to data in random order. Having augmenting our current clusters with fabric attached memory allows these workloads certainly to be optimized much, much more on current clusters than is currently possible. So I think there is a balancing act in terms of how much fabric attached memory we need versus how this, this also brings us to the question of the interfaces to this fabric attached memory. Because it is memory, I assume that the interface is load store. Whereas in these traditional servers, you're usually using either RPC or RPC-based interfaces like MPI and others. What are the benefits or disadvantages and why would you want to go with one versus the other? So if you go back 20 plus years and you think in terms of the early um, supercomputers, they were all single system, low score based systems. They were large machines which ran on single system. What people recognized was that they were, these systems were very hard to scale. Beyond a certain point, the CPUs would not scale when we added the individual CPUs inside these single room multi-CPU environments, um, maintaining coherence across these data things became. And a large class of applications, because back then people were thinking in terms of modeling and simulation applications largely, we realized that we can like, essentially partition the cluster and have a large distributed cluster. We are almost now walking backwards towards those environments where a combination of load store makes sense in a large single machine, but at the same time, there are workloads which are also distributed. Single machines are not as scalable as a large distributed cluster. I can have clusters with thousands of nodes in them. It is very hard to build those kinds of things in a single system. So both kinds of applications are necessary. And what you find is people are not being able to think in terms of mixing both kinds of applications in their now, I think we have cleared the ground for discussing the real topic of your work, which is Open FAM. Yes. Uh, so now that we understand everything about fabric attached memory, tell us what is Open FAM? So one of the challenges that comes in here is because the memory has moved away from the server and I have fabric attached memory, the question is, how does the application programmer address that? Um, the, currently, the latency between my server and fabric attachment is much higher than the latency between my processor and the local Programming these kinds of things at a lower level is hard. So what we have to provide the application programmers is easy to use interfaces that allow them to program against these things. So OpenFAM is an API that allows the application programmer to transparently access fabric attached memory, uh, allocate fabric attached memory, read and write data from the fabric attached memory, 
just as if it was memory as opposed to something which looks like a file system. So this allows the programmer to now talk to fabric attachment B and actually use fabric attachment B in their programs much, much more easily. And that is what OpenFAMP is about. It's an open source project. And that's why we call it OpenFAMP. And it's accessible right now to programmers. So there are subtleties here. Um, not only that is open source, but these are also open interfaces. Can you that explain the differences between the two? Because you're going to have open source, but not open interfaces or vice versa, et cetera. So this goes back to something one of my colleagues said to me that has stayed with me for over 25 years at this point. Their comment was that in order for a new technology to be used, it has to be both useful and usable. So when you think in terms of fabric attached memory architectures, at least we believe they are very, very useful. And the intent here is now to make them usable. I make programs, I make these kinds of architectures usable by giving my programmers um, application programming interfaces and implementations of those interfaces so they can actually use them. So OpenPAN is open source for that reason. We are going to, we are making these things available to people because we believe the architecture actually is useful for a lot of different applications and a lot of different people. And by open sourcing the OpenFAM API and a reference implementation of that API, we believe that people can easily try things out, use them. It essentially makes the entire architecture usable by a broad spectrum of people because it's only by trying things out on these things we can find out where these things are going. So that is the reason for thinking about it. Seems to be extremely interesting and useful and usable. So, so what is the next big thing for OpenFAM? So OpenFAM is in the starting stages. We have made a reference implementation that is available. It is something that people can try out now. They can try it on their current scale-up machines. They can try it on their current scale-out architectures. But there is a lot more to be done. For example, you mentioned security. You mentioned data protection earlier. We were talking about some of these challenges. Those kinds of things we have to bring into OpenFAM. It, it works at a prototype scale, but taking it to something which a real customer would use in a production environment requires a lot more work which deals with things which are mundane uh, effectively, but which are really necessary to use if somebody's to build on something else. So we are thinking through scalability, we are thinking through security, we are thinking through how to manage data so that it is reliable and redundant. Those kinds of things are what we are beginning to think about. The API itself and the use of that API is pretty stable at this point in time. So people can use it and be assured that the stuff underneath will improve over time. That's what we focus on. We spoke a little bit about openness uh, and open source. There's another dimension, which is standards. Is you can cool. have something open source, but not standardized. Everyone is using it differently, or you can have standardized solution. How are standards important for OpenFAM? So actually what we find is, if you think about standards, there are two types of things. One are standards which are formal standards, if you think in terms of like the IEEE standards, some of the wireless standards. These standards have to be thought through at a very, very low level detail 
so that they work and they are really necessary in order for interoperability so if i don't have that kind of standard different people's work just doesn't work side by side there are things which one thinks of as a de facto standard which says it has become popular enough that even though there is no stamp of approval from anybody effectively it is a standard everybody is writing to it everybody is programming to it in open fam we are using both kinds of things underneath for example we are using lib fabric inside open fam which gives us independence from all of the underlying transports that can be that open fan can be used on uh, lip fabric is a standard reference api and implementation created by the open fabric alliance and that is that goes through a rigorous approval process review process before something comes there on top of open fan however we are looking at what are people actually using not necessarily as a standard but what kinds of programming people use and we want to be able to basically take the open fan api and translate it to make it easier for people who are programming in these languages to do it so that on top we are looking at what people are actually using and support those kinds of things and that's where the standards interplay comes in interesting extremely interesting um let's switch topic a little bit um but not too much um hp is taking pride of uh, acting as a force for good yes meaning contributing to the world how can um open fam help so for example if you think about um you know um various uh, typhoons on the east coast uh, earthquakes on the west tornadoes in between and how does it affect uh, the airlines or or things like that when you think about a force for good we get into ethical concerns we get into social issues um as you are aware pretty much any technology can be used for this right? we can use the technology for good we can use the technology for bad um but in addition to the kinds of things you mentioned i mean we are thinking in terms of ai and machine learning applications we are thinking in terms of biostatistics data graph applications most of these applications can be used for social benefit i think to me um the force for good is a cultural issue and it's something we care about deeply namely that when you develop a technology you think about how it would be applied and how it could be applied and you do your best to make the technology available to people who are thinking about the wellness of society who are thinking about good things and at the same time you have to be aware of where things might go wrong and not necessarily prevented but at least be aware of so i think this is a cultural and personal issues it's about how we as human beings behave much more than any specific technology uh i'm glad you brought up the technology yeah i'm glad you brought up the topic of culture uh both you and i are coming from different cultural background i'm originally from serbia you have some indian background So tell me a little bit about the difference how do you perceive um Indian culture versus US culture versus any other you wish to compare to I grew up in India in a relatively protected environment because our family was reasonably well off however i saw poverty i saw people struggling first hand and i remember back 
as a preteen, effectively, in the late 60s when the U.S. was going through a war. Um, it was interesting to me as a child, and I sent a letter to the U.S. Embassy in New Delhi and said, congratulations, I, I care about this. And about three weeks later, to my surprise, they answered me from the U.S. Embassy as a small child. This was a big deal to me. And they sent me a subscription to a magazine, which I still remember the name of after all these years, called Span. That was a U.S. magazine that talked about all kinds of things in America. And they sent me a special issue on the moon program there, the Apollo program. And I remember basically sitting down and listening on the radio for hours ahead on what Voice of America had to say. When I came to the US, I realized that the American culture is not a monolith. Just like any other places, we as a country are also um, a very diverse country. And America is called the melting pot for a very, very good reason. It's a, it's a place where people come together. But the can-do attitude, the fact that we know how to move forward, this is what attracted me to American culture in the first place. And even today, uh, even though we complain about what's happening in our country all the time, um, that is something that I think is unique to America. Even though it's known as a melting pot, not everything has been melted. And it, leaves, it leaves still a lot of diversity. How do you consider diversity and inclusion, especially given all your background? So diversity, inclusion, um, my reaction is each and every one of us brings with us a unique perspective based on our own life experiences. So diversity, inclusion to me is important because each of us has made different mistakes. Each of us has brought different skills to the working place or to our society. And by learning from one another, by taking advantage of the knowledge from one another, by learning not to make the mistakes that other, others have made, we can move forward and we can do a much, much better job working together and accomplishing better than any of us could alone. And certainly much, much more than if each of us were sitting in our corner and fighting with one another. So when I think in terms of diversity, I think in terms of inclusion, I think in terms of people working together, that is how I think about it. I think it is important to hear everybody out. I think it's important to learn from everybody. I think we are all trying to add to the conversation rather than reduce and giving people the benefit of the doubt, giving people the benefit that they are coming from a place which we have not been and they have something to say is extraordinarily important, both in our working places and in our societies. Sherrod, both you and I work really long hours, you know, start early in the morning, you know, all yes. the way through night. So do you ever wind down? How do you find the time to rest and rejuvenate? You know, they are, when you are having fun, the separation between what you do for fun and what you do for work is very, very small and um, that being said, I do have a life outside work <laughs> um, when I have time and when I get the inclination, 
I tend to read. I read a lot of science fiction, frankly, not serious books because I think there is plenty of serious stuff in my life otherwise. Um, we, you can see from the background behind me, we have a nice place where we can we see our thing. We love the sea. We go out for walks and hikes around the beach. So, and then in my spare time, as you say, sort of that boundary between work and thing, I help my wife maintain her websites. She's a musician. I help her record. I basically play the IT person for her. And that's also very satisfying because I'm helping her out with her pieces, what she loves to do most with the violin. Very, very interesting, all of that. Uh, thank you, Sherrod. Uh, I love your description of Open Fam. That, that was probably one of the most coherent that I've heard from anyone. Uh, and, and I hope our audience has learned as well. Thanks. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate being here with you. <laughs>